This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. Join us June 6th through the 8th for a robust and convenient learning experience featuring education from industry leaders covering a wide variety of challenges facing medical practices today. MGMA Summit is a signature online event that allows you to take control of your journey by attending live or by accessing the sessions at your own pace until July 8th. Go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register today. This episode is brought to you by Dynamedics. Dynamedics empowers healthcare professionals with advanced evidence-based clinical decision support to help improve patient outcomes. You can learn more at dynamedics.com. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome back a regular to the show, Susan Childs. Uh, Susan, uh, for you listeners, has earned her FACMPE. She also has over 30 years of experience in healthcare medical practice management. Um, you've got a lot more on your resume than that, Susan, but I'm just stop for there, for, for right there, and then we'll keep going. But what we want to talk to Susan about today is that she has a new book um, that I really feel like should be required reading uh, for medical practices and hospital administration, everybody associated with that kind of healthcare leadership side of things. This book is called The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. Susan, welcome back to the MGMA Insights Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. It's nice to be back. Thanks. Um, now, before we take a deep dive into your book, I want to comment on something that I read about you. I was reading some of your background, um, even though I've known you for almost five years now, but I, I, it's always interesting to go back and see what other people say about you. And um, it said that you help medical practices establish conscious processes and strategies that encourage and promote self-awareness. And I absolutely love that phrase, self-awareness. It's something I've been involved with in the last three or four years. So talk mm -hmm. about that. What does self-awareness mean to you? You know, to me, self-awareness is just like being aware of yourself, how you're coming off on others, um, to others when you're speaking with them, how you sound, how you really sound, and then being aware of how they react back to you so that you can have a meaningful conversation. It's not just a one-sided thing. A lot of, uh, a lot of emotional intelligence and self-awareness is just listening and really just being aware of how you sound to everybody else. A lot of people don't realize it. You think you're saying something one way. And also, you know, when you're the boss, people take what you say very seriously. Every single thing you say, they take it, it's gospel and they have to follow your rules. So if you go in and you bark orders or delegate, instead of saying, how is your calendar looking? Do you have time to do this? It would be great to help with spreadsheets. It's very different. It's a very different approach. So that, that self-awareness of how you are with every relationship you have, I mean, every conversation, every interaction, it makes a difference. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I totally agree with you there. You can really tell when someone's sort of uh, in monologue mode and <laughs> you're like, hey, we're having a conversation here. It's not, you know, the stand-up act or whatever. So I really love how you say that, really being aware of yourself and that surrounding as well. So 
Um, yes, yes. And, and we're so in the middle of everything right now, and especially, well, COVID with everything going on, but now we're getting through that. But we're so in the middle of making all these quick decisions right now, we really have to be aware of what's going on. And a lot of times we can't, we do things so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Well, without further ado, let's take a deep dive into this book. You have written a book, which I'm amazed and in awe and jealous and all the other accolades and emotions I can say, because that's just so cool. And it's not only that you wrote a book, but it's the book that you wrote. So um, you wrote about you, emotional. Yeah, you wrote about emotional intelligence. You and I talked about this. It must have been a year or more ago um, when you were working on this book. Uh, and as you know, it is a true commitment to write a book. It, it takes time. It, takes, it can take months. It can take years. Um, so you have to be passionate about that topic. So what is it about emotional intelligence that you connect with on such a level that you would be willing to devote all of that time to it to uh, put your thoughts down on paper and then get that book published? You know, healthcare is all about emotional intelligence. It's all about compassion and empathy. Think of the questions your physician asks you. You know, they've gotten better. They used to interrupt every 12 seconds. Now it's every 18. And that's because they're listening a little more. That's good, right? But every conversation you have, it's providing compassionate patient care. That's what we're all about. And it ties in with that. And the physician and the patient have the most incredible relationship where they really have to listen to each other and create that. I mean, they, they call it a partnership, but it really is for better outcomes, better compliance, everything. It's so important. And there's so much focus on the numbers and that they were very important. Numbers are very important, but it's more than just the numbers. I was working with um, an urgent care group and they said to me, well, what am I supposed to tell the, the board? Because I have to report to the board. I said, well, you won't tell them anything without any patients. What are you gonna tell the patients? Because the patient should always be first. And if we surround ourselves with that, I think that that's the most important thing. And my goal with this book, and everything I do when I work in offices or do workshops or anything is to make people feel better about where they are and what they're doing. The term psychologically safe is very popular right now. And it's very true. We have to feel really good about where we are. We have to feel like our boss is 100% behind us. And as a boss, we have to be 100% behind our people. It's, it's really working together with respect and understanding each person's role from janitor to CEO. That's what it's about. And that's why I wanted to write the book. Okay. Well, yeah. when were you first introduced to this idea of emotional intelligence? Actually, it's at an MGMA conference. There was a general speaker. I don't remember her name, and she was amazing. And at the time, my mother-in-law was really sick. And she asked, think of somebody who gets you right away, who accepts you and just takes you and just whatever, no judgment whatsoever, just loves you, just takes you and accepts you for what you are right away. And immediately my mother-in-law came to mind because she did, she was wonderful. And it was so emotional for me. And I really loved it. And I, I loved the idea and the term. And then about two years later, I was at my friend's house who's a psychologist and the book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 was on the table. I said, oh, I heard someone, this is great. And you know, we talked about it. And after we talked about it a little bit, she said, oh, well, this book is obviously meant to be yours. And I took it home and I read it. And Later, I found out that she had just bought that book. She hadn't even read it yet, but she gave it to me because she knew I was meant to have it. So whenever I published this book, I called her immediately and said, it's done. And you, you started it. What, so what a great cool. story. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. Love and that. we're still good friends. Yeah. I still tease her about it. Yeah. 
Oh, it hit oh, home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, so you start the book with a chapter on emotional intelligence 101. Let's just lay the groundwork then. I know I had you define what um, self-awareness meant to you. And in this first chapter then, what are you trying to convey? What was your goal for that first chapter in talking about emotional intelligence? Just to give the basics, because a lot of people don't realize that we all have emotional intelligence. You know, so it's just to give the basics. Like the, the definition is, you know, it's um, a conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. It relates to relationship management. It's aware of how you're really coming off to others. There are 5 million definitions, but really Maya Angelou said it best. You may not remember what someone said to you, but you remember how, you, how they made you feel. And I remember after one presentation that I had done on, it was emotional intelligence and the revenue cycle. And someone saw me two years later, again, at an MGMA conference, and they said, did you do something inspirational? So whatever I said, that's what they remembered. And again, if it made them feel good about what they're doing, and they can get across to the patient better, and it makes the experience better for everybody, I've done my job. It's good. I love that. That is, yeah. that is good. Uh, so let's talk about emotional intelligence on another level the whole nature nurture side of it are we are we born with it or is it something where we can sharpen the skills uh talk about that you know we're all born with it and i remember you and i talking about this before um when i was a waitress people would walk in and i could tell who is a good tipper because when you're totally immersed in something you just get that feeling and you just know i've hired people and i look in the lobby and i you know as they're waiting for the interview and i could just tell it's going to be them I mean, there are certain things that you can just tell. It's, it really helps when you've had that hard conversation with somebody, when you sit back and you listen to them and you've had a productive conversation and you both come out feeling like you understand each other. That's, you know, that's emotional intelligence. People have it, they use it and don't realize it. In my workshops, I will ask, when is a time that you used emotional intelligence and didn't even realize it? And usually it's when you've spoken with a difficult patient or a doctor that's upset or a staff member that's upset and you handled it and you both came to a good ending with that, you know, whether it was a positive or negative, you came to a resolution, you both understood and you moved on. That's emotional intelligence. So again, you know, we all have this, it's just honing in on the skills. Mm -hmm. And physicians actually, it, this is in the book, but physicians are actually so into uh, learning how to do the diagnosis and the studies and being competitive and getting their fellowship where they want all these things, you know, the residency where they want to go that emotional intelligence is often tuned out. They have to because they're just concentrating on other things. It's just a different focus. And that's why when they come out of school, I remember one physician said to me, you know, I know how to give a diagnosis, but I don't know how to tell them that a loved one died. And that's so important because again, it's more than just the numbers. How did that person make you feel? If you convey that message with compassion, it's very different. Someone said to me about someone I love in the hallway outside the x-ray unit, oh, well, I can just tell it's ovarian cancer. I just know I've seen this a million times. And this was about somebody I loved instead of very softly saying, I fear this might be it, this, these tests will tell. Give it a buffer. You know, there's a lot to be said about the approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, as you know, because you were doing the research on this book, there are a lot of books or a lot of papers on emotional intelligence out there. I believe Daniel Goldman uh, was perhaps the first to write about this topic. 
what's interesting and I think unique about your book is that you take this topic, you do lay the groundwork with that emotional intelligence 101, you really give the foundation to it in general, then you bring it more specifically into the medical practice setting. Um, I wrote down some chapters that you have or section uh, sections that you have in there. You have sections on patient bills and communication, getting to know your front desk, your billing office. <laughs> you even have a section on if you believe someone may be committing fraud or embezzling in the practice, you have a lot of really interesting uh, case studies, real world examples. So talk about how uh, emotional intelligence can help a practice leader or a staffer um, navigate the medical practice better. You know, um, I've heard many, many presenters talk about comparing healthcare to Toyota. We are not Toyota. We are not dealing with car parts. We are not dealing with production. We are dealing with emotions and bundles of emotions. I think there are six primary emotions. And if you can meet two of them, you've done your job. Let's take the front desk, for example. This is not like, even when you're hiring for front desk, you know, you get bank tellers and stuff or car salesmen. You don't go to car to buy a car when you're sick. You don't go to the bank when you're sick. When you go to the doctors when you're sick, you don't want to be there. So when you walk in the door already, you're not feeling well. And I don't know about you, I'm not feeling well. My guard is down, my patience is short, and I'm already not known for my patience. So it gets to be trying, I'm sure. I try to be you know, very, very understanding because I've worked the front desk, I know. But the front desk has to have emotional intelligence and empathy and know their patients so that when they come in the door, they can say, hello, how can I help you? And when they ask for money, or have to tell them that the doctor might be a little late. That's emotional intelligence. Every interaction, every step of care, every level of care, you have to deal with that. And, and patients look for that. Patients are more demanding now. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but they really are. And you know, our job is to do that. You know, how the front desk handles a patient, how the nurse handles a callback to a patient that doesn't want to come in for a prescription refill because they're afraid of getting COVID, or they just don't want to come in because they don't want to pay the money. 40% of your patients now have high deductibles. Every single conversation counts. It's, you know, that relationship is really, really different. And knowing where that patient is coming from is very, very important. Yeah, and you remind me of something that um, you do go to the doctor most often when you are not feeling well, so you're already not in a great mood often. Um, and I think what we forget is that for that front desk person, for that nurse, for that doctor, they may see thousands of patients a year, but when you're sick there, that's the it could be the only interaction you're having with a practice the entire year and maybe over years. And so that impression is memorable, you know, to you. You're exactly right. I have in my book somewhere, um, there was a rheumatologist I was working with and, um, he couldn't understand. And you're like, you know, like you, you know, you were just saying he's doing something a million times a day. And I say, mm -hmm. I may be your millionth patient, but you are my first rheumatologist. I love it. And, and that's, and you just said it. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I used to work with Dr. Jan Patterson. She was amazing. I'm sure she still is. And she would walk into the room to every single patient and say, here you are. Like she was looking for them all day and you became the center of her universe. And that's the way it should be. And that's another reason I wrote the book is how we can support physicians. You know, it's from their point of view. It, I think administrators and docs really, you know, working together on this because 
you know, how we do it sets the pace for everybody else and patient staff really noticed that. Let's stay with the patients then. So chapter six is titled, Your Patient Has Something to Say. I, I love that title. <laughs> it's one and of I'm my presentations. You, yeah. What is yeah. it? What are they saying in our practices hearing them? <laughs> They're saying a lot. They're saying a lot. My friend Maureen says that, um, actually that's a keynote. I'm doing that like in a couple of places this year. It's, it's fun because it's honest, it's real, you know? Uh, my friend Maureen says that, um, that the patients, at their, as their premiums rise, so do patients' expectations. I think offices in large have experienced a lot of patients being upset in recent years, along with staff being upset for all, all for good reasons. They're all, all viable, they're all, you know, true. You know, survival is your strongest instinct and that's what we've been experiencing and we will protect our own. I know I will. And I know everyone else will. So that's what we're doing. And our job is to protect our patients as well. So, you know, really our job is to finish the sentence for our patients, you know, and things change all the time. You know, people did not used to have visits at seven or eight o'clock at night. Now they're having late clinics because that's what people need. We have to change according to what our patients need and that's continual. So when people do continual surveys, that's a really good way to catch somebody at the front who's really good or really bad because you catch it continually right as it happens instead of running a patient survey twice a year. That's why your reports and things getting back to you, your, your signs and your Google reviews and everything, you pay attention to those because they are vital and they do make a difference if you wanna pay attention to them or not, people do pay attention to those. And also I think it's a constant balancing for uh, leaders, for managers. You know, as an administrator, you can predict about two hours of your day and the rest of it comes to you. And that's where that balancing and that awareness and that emotional intelligence really helps because you have to understand where each person is coming from and you have a revolving door. A lot of times it's difficult and you're in charge. You're the safe place for the practice or so you're in charge. All right, well, um, I wanna wrap up here a couple of, couple more questions and comments. So in your summary, I really like this. I, I, I marked this because I wanted to get your thoughts on it. You say that you intended to write a high impact ending that would highly engage every reader. Then I promptly realized there is no conclusion to using your emotional intelligence to develop a successful medical practice. So what did you mean by that? Well, you know, it, it, it was an honest thing. I really thought, oh, I'm going to make a really like heavy conclusion to make it really like people, you know, really feel it and, and, and say something really impactful. Um, but then I realized there is no conclusion because the healthcare is continual. It goes on. People will always be sick and they will always, always need the help. What I ended it with was the example of my brother who passed away a year and a half ago. And it was horrible. And I went to see him the last year several times I visited him and I'm really glad I did. And I can tell you that every single interaction we had with every single caregiver and every single nurse, doctor, referrals person, billing person, calling in or ER visits, everything were so compassionate and so wonderful and understanding, understanding. And that, that made it so much easier for my family to deal with it. Because if you have somebody difficult, it's already, you can't even go to the grocery store, you know? And they were so helpful. So that's what I say is just to continue that, to just to continue that. My Aunt Selma, um, this quote is in the book and I have to tell you, it's my favorite quote in the book. She was married to my uncle Austin, who was an ophthalmologist. 
He was Long Island College Hospital chief of ophthalmology for like 38 years. And I asked him, or I asked her what it was like to be married to a physician, you know, what that was like for her. And I'm just gonna read this quote because it's just beautiful. And it's, it's, I can't believe she wrote it, I'm so impressed. She calls the relationship between the doctor the soul of medicine. Throughout the history, there has been so many diseases and medical issues that could not be treated successfully. Doctors give comfort to desperate people and feel safe with someone who's shown kindness and empathy. When a patient trusts their doctor, it becomes a higher level of treatment. When they feel the kindness, life takes on another dimension. Doctors can help heal with compassion and knowledge. I mean, I'm so jealous that she wrote that. It's so beautiful and it's, it's why we're here. So if we can do that, there we go. I love that. That's yeah. that is a beautiful quote. Thanks for reading that to us. So um, before we sign off then, what are some steps any of us listening right now can take to raise our emotional intelligence? What's, what can we do? You know, just, just listen, be aware of yourself. When you go into a conversation, be aware of how you're standing. Are your hands on your hips or are you standing straight? Are you sitting with welcome arms or are they, are they stubbornly, you know, with them crossed or something like that? <laughs> are you having eye contact? There's, there's a physician I work with. It's a wonderful man. He's also very private. And when he listens, he puts his head down because that's how he listens. And I said, it looks like you're not listening. I know you're concentrating. And anyone who knows you knows that. But until they know you, at least put your head up just so, you know, it looks like you're listening. Um, you know, get your, get your, just listen uh, at conversations more than you, more than you speak. Um, listen to how they respond to you. Watch the body language. Body language is impressive as hell. Also, it's just incredible. And, you know, begin, go to like a, a ballpark or even in your practice or sit in the lobby and just observe. My husband and I were at the beach last weekend and I'm on the balcony and I'm looking out and I see this couple and we saw a proposal. We wow. didn't hear a word, but you could tell by the body language and how they were and how they were moving around that it was a proposal. Of course, the five people taking pictures just beyond them gave it away as well. But, <laughs> but, it, was, but it was wonderful. You could tell everything. You know, realigning your body, standing straight, listening to how you're approaching people again. As you're delegating, say why you're delegating, not I just don't have time for this. Let people know their value. And it will come back to you. The more you do it, the better it the more attuned you become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where can somebody get a copy of the book? Uh, my website. You can go to evohcc.com or you can put in Susan Fink Childs, comma AAPL, and that will bring up my book, uh, The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. Well, we will put links uh, to both of those in our episode show notes and also our page on mgma.com when this is published. So Susan, thank you again for joining us on the MGMA Insights Podcast. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Susan Childs, author of The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. And thanks to you for listening to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com 
slash membership.